Good morning. You can have a seat. Thanks for being with us this morning. My name is Bobby. I'm one of the pastors here at Northwest. And uh, look around. This is summer. <laughs> this is kind of how it's been. This is how we've been starting off the summer. We've got lots of people traveling, vacation, um, you know, when the weather is not pouring rain outside, people getting outside, going to the lake, all that kind of stuff. So uh, I'm thankful that you're here this morning. And before we get into our word this morning, I just wanted to take a few minutes um, and give you a brief update on something that we don't really talk a lot about at SOMA, but I'm realizing is something that we need to start talking about a little bit more. Um, and that's just where we are as a church financially. Um, the reason that we haven't talked about this is uh, primarily on me, <laughs> because um, <clears throat> I think uh, I have a fear, uh, and I know some of you all have been in churches, I have a fear that when we talk about finances and, and where we're coming from as a church, that it comes across as like begging you to give more money to the church. Uh, so that's always on my mind. Um, or also, like, I also have this fear of coming across as being too businesslike, like that we're always just looking at a balance sheet and, like, income and all of these things. And I've just realized, like, that's my own baggage. That's my own stuff. Um, and that in all honesty, it's something that we should be talking about as a church because, especially in our situation, I want to start talking about it as an encouragement um, to you, to know where we are, um, to uh, give God glory for what he's doing and how he's provided. And so just give me a few minutes here just to talk about a few things um, that we've experienced. For those of you who are visiting this morning, we launched uh, Soma Northwest back in September. Um, we are a part of Soma Church which we have three different congregations at different locations in the city. So we're a family, a family of three different churches, and uh, there's a lot of benefit to that. When we, um, uh, when we started, there were a lot of costs that we incurred um, at the beginning. All of this stuff that you see up front, all of the things that you see out there in the atrium, all of those things were things that we didn't have before. <laughs> so they were things that we needed to buy, that we needed to purchase, to just to be able to have a Sunday gathering that is um, uh, conducive for you being able to come and worship and experience a just a safe, warm, hospitable place. And we've intentionally tried to keep things very simple. But all of this cost money. And we were able to see God bring that in um, through some very generous donations from outside of SOMA. Uh, some individuals, some churches around the city that saw what we were doing, that said, hey, we want to help you. We want to bless you out of what God has given us. Uh, we want to be ab uh, abundant with our generosity as God has been abundant with us. And also our Soma Midtown and our Soma Downtown congregation also chipped in money for us just to be able to um, purchase some of the things that we need, some of those upfront costs. So that was something that was really encouraging for us, um, was such a huge blessing. As we've looked um, since September, uh, as we were planning out just what this year was going to look like for us financially, um, we are doing way better than what we expect, expected because of your generosity, because of your willingness to give to what God has been doing here. Uh, as we look at finishing out this ministry year here, our ministry years run from August through July. Um, and so that's kind of our fiscal year each year. As we look at finishing that out, we're expecting to cover about 60, um, we were expecting to cover about 60% of our budget internally and then have to raise about 40% of that from the outside to go out and find other churches that would be willing to partner with us to help us stay afloat and be able to do some of those things. But in fact, and I want you all to hear this because this is due to your generosity. In fact, as we looked at finishing out this year, we are looking at covering 90% of our budget internally. So yeah, praise God. Thank you for that. That's been a huge uh, uh, area of encouragement as we've looked at this um, uh, month after month. Um, 
And so as we take what, we've are, what we are experiencing this year and we look towards next year as we start up again in August, our, ne- our new ministry year, year number two for us at Soma Northwest, we are still projecting that we'll be able to meet our costs over this next year about 90 to 95% internally just based on what we've experienced this year. And we're praying that God... Uh, allows us to be a hundred percent financially sustainable. That's um, that's what we desire uh, because of our family model of church. It's been good. It's been right. It's been something that's been encouraging for uh, Soma Midtown and Soma Downtown to be able to step in as kind of like our older siblings and say like, hey, we want to help you out financially, and we want it's important for us to to pour into you financially so that you can be healthy, so that you can um, be sustainable up here. But we want to move towards financial independence here and, and, on t- and autonomy. And the reason that we want to do that is that we want to be able to grow in what we're able to do and we're able to offer here. We want to grow in supporting our benevolence and our mercy ministry. We want to grow in being able to have people come to us and say, I need help. I need help paying my bills. I need help with this medical expense. I need help with, with X, Y, or Z. And for us to be able to step in and say, yeah, like we have resources that we want to bless you with. We want to grow in our ability to support global missions. That's something we've been very focused here in the city and rightly so in reaching our neighborhoods. But as we look at where we want to go as a church, we want to look at what God is doing at other port uh, and other places around our country and around the world and say, how can we as a congregation here in the northwest part of Indianapolis use our generosity and our resources to to help and to bless missionaries and church planters and others in the work of God at different points around this globe. And so that's what we're praying for. That's what we're wanting and we're desiring to go. We want to encourage you, um, if you're not currently giving, to start giving. Um, it doesn't have to be much. It doesn't have to be something that, that is a huge chunk of money. It's just we want you to be in on what God is doing here and how we are able to bless each other internally as a church, but also as we move forward, how we can begin to continue to bless our community and bless other people you know, around this country, around the world. Um, I want you to be encouraged this morning that we spent a good part of a year leading up to September, planning and praying and preparing and standing here, you know, what is this, nine months or so after we've launched to be able to see what God has done and to be able to, to give thanks to God for blessing us. I want you to be encouraged with that. I want you to know that as you have sacrificed, as you have given, Uh, as you have made a commitment financially to Soma Northwest, that God has blessed that and that God is using that to encourage us here, but also as we look towards the future to be able to be a greater presence in our community, to be a blessing, to be generous as God has been generous with us. Um, so if you're a member of Soma Northwest this week, within the next couple of weeks, I don't want to promise I'll get it out this week, but in the next couple of weeks, um, you're going to receive an email with just some of these talking points here and just some, uh, some things for you to look over. If you have questions about our finances, how we're spending money, the things that we're asking God to do financially so that, so that we can move forward in continued health, but also in generosity, uh, please feel free. We want to be trans transparent and open with how we're doing things and where our money is going, how we're spending that, where we believe God is leading us in that. So don't feel like that's awkward or that's weird. If you have questions, please, you can talk to me. Um, You can talk to Andrea Corbido in the back. Um, She's a part of our uh, SOMA finance team and is helping us uh, crunch numbers and and helping us develop vision for what this looks like for us. So I know some of you may be real jazzed up at what you just heard. Others are like, yeah, that's cool, whatever. (laughs) I mean, wherever you are with that, uh, we just feel like as elders, myself, um, Nate, Andrew, uh, we want to be open. We want you to be encouraged at what God has done. 
uh, financially with Soma Northwest through your generosity. So let me pray for us. Let's just thank God for this. Let's thank God for what he has done here before we dive into our scripture. Lord, we recognize that every good gift that we have comes from you. We recognize that you have used um, your resources to bless us. And as I look around this room and see people who are, are faithful uh, to provide for their families, uh, faithful to be a part of this community and to, to be generous with what you've given them, I thank you that you have given us the resources to do that. I thank you that you have placed us in a position with a job, um, with a career, with a vocation that allows us to meet the needs not only of ourselves but of others. And I pray that you would bless those here who are giving sacrificially. I pray that as they um, give their money to you first, that you would return that to them that you would bless them, that you would encourage them. I pray for those of us who are still figuring out what does it look like on my limited income, with my budget, with the things that I have going on, what does it look like for me to give and continue to be generous with what God has given me? I pray that you would help us as a church be able to come alongside and, and encourage and challenge and, and teach each other what it means to be generous with what we have been given from you. Lord, thank you for your blessing to Soma Northwest. Thank you that as we look back over our short history, that we see time and time and time again, you answering prayer, you stepping into needs, you providing for us. And I pray that as we look at moving forward as a church community, that we would continue to be generous with what we have been given, that we would continue to use the resources that you have blessed us with to be a place of hope, to be a community of peace, to seek renewal in this city, to support the work of the gospel going out into other parts of our country and around the world. We trust you for that. We expect you to do great things, and we are humbled that you call us to be a part of what you are doing, to glorify yourself and to bring people into your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, we are finally finishing up Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We have been looking at Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7 every week uh, since, I think, the beginning of November. Um, and if you're like me, this has been a teaching that I have really had to wrestle with because it's been a teaching that has challenged my perspective on what life, what real life really is. It's been a teaching that has invited all of us into difficult relational dynamics, having to forgive people that we don't want to forgive, uh, calling us to be reconciled to people with whom we have a lot of differences and a lot of barriers. It's, it's exposed where we've bought into kind of an Americanized or an individualized view of God's kingdom and what it means to be a Christian. It's a teaching that, that Jesus has taught us what God really desires for us. What is it that God really wants for our lives? What does he want us to experience? What, is, what does he want us to know about him? And what we've seen is that God isn't just interested in some kind of, you know, inner spirituality. That God isn't just interested in some kind of an outer morality. That what God desires for us is a whole person all of who we are inside and out righteousness. Something that experiences, a kind of righteousness that experiences all of who he is in all of who we are. And so this morning we're coming to the end of Jesus's teaching and we're going to be challenged again as we walk away from this teaching. So if you would turn with me to the end of Matthew chapter 7, if you're using one of the Bibles around you in the seats. You'll find that on page 474. You can keep that Bible if you want to take it home with you as our gift to you. 
I want to go back. Uh, we looked at this a few weeks ago uh, in, to verse 24. And I want to read through the end of the passage. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24, Jesus' words, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Let me stop right there. Having listened to Jesus' words, those folks who were listening to Jesus teach this, We have listened to Jesus teach this since November. Having listened to Jesus' words, Jesus places the ball squarely in our court. And the question that he leaves us with is, what will we do with Jesus' words? What will we do with what we have heard from Jesus? We can commit to doing what Jesus taught. And he tells us here that if we do that, then we are wise people. We are wise men, wise women, because we will then experience the life that God wants for us, the life that he made us for, the life that we really want for ourselves. If we do the words of Jesus, we will be wise because we will experience life. But if we choose to hear the words of Jesus and not do them, or just maybe sometimes do them, and the rest of the time just do the things that we really want to do, then Jesus says we are fools. We're foolish because we are throwing away the only kind of life that will really make us happy. There's no caveats here. Are there? Jesus doesn't say, well, this is true for you if you are in this economic bracket. This is only true for you if you live in this part of the city. This is only true for you if you have this particular relational dynamic and family situation. No, Jesus says, this is black black and white here. Either you will choose to be wise or you will choose to be foolish. The question is, what will we do with the words of Jesus? Because we all have to realize that each one of us in this room is building our own house. We're building a house. When you woke up this morning, you continued to do work on your house. The way that you think about money, your perspective on what you own, what you spend, how much you save, how much you give, how you view the relationships in your life, how you treat other people, how you want other people to treat you, how you treat other people when they don't treat you the way that you want them to treat you. Your aspirations for your career, your goals, what you define success as, the trajectory of your life, what you want to accomplish, what you want to achieve, the kind of lifestyle that you want to have. For those of you who are married, how you view your spouse, what it means to live in relationship with your spouse. What what does it mean for you to love them? What does it mean for you to commit to them? What does it mean for you to be married? For those of you who are parents, how you discipline your kids, how you teach your kids, the things that you want your kids to know about how life works, the environment that you create for your kids to grow up in. Each one of these things is a brick. 
It's a board. It's a shingle that you are putting on your house. And what Jesus tells us here is that it doesn't matter how good the outside of the house looks. What matters is the foundation. You can have all of these things that look awesome, that look like you have it all together. You can follow all the right books and blogs and, and, and methodology. You can seek out all of the most successful people in your field. But what Jesus says is what matters about your house is the foundation. What are you building on? What are you building your view of relationships on? How you, how you handle money. Who determines how you handle your money? Who determines what it looks like for you to be successful in your career? Your marriage, your parenting. Who are you building those on? We have heard the words of Jesus. And the question for us is, what will we do with them? What will we do with the words of Jesus? Look back with me here as we finish up these last two verses. Verse 28. And when Jesus finished these sayings, this is Matthew. This is Matthew setting the scene for us. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. This conclusion, this epilogue from Matthew is easy to just roll right over. You know, we, we just read it. We go on into chapter 8 and we miss what Matthew is really trying to say here. He's not just describing the reaction of the crowd. But he's using that reaction as a big red stop sign for us. Matthew doesn't want us to just roll through this. He wants us to stop. Because the question that we just looked at is, what will we do with the words of Jesus? The question that Matthew is giving us here this morning is this. What will we do with Jesus? What will we do with Jesus himself? The crowd was astonished. The crowd was amazed. When was the last time you've been astonished and amazed? I went, I went to the 500, uh, not the actual race, just to practice a couple weeks ago. And I had never been. I'd never been up close to racing to these kind of cars. I know some of you have been to the actual race. You, you, you're used to this. But I was standing up on one of the balcony areas. And I mean, this wasn't even all of the cars that were in the race. It was just a few. But those cars would just come by. And the speed and the noise and just kind of the force of those cars going that fast. I was amazed by that. I was amazed as I thought about those drivers driving that car at that speed, having to navigate those turns, having to weave in and out. You're going over 200 miles an hour and you're inches away from another car going 200 miles an hour. I was amazed by that. And I was amazed because I wasn't used to it. It was something that was new for me. It was something that I hadn't experienced before. You remember back when we started this at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew writes us these words to tell us what Jesus was doing here. He says, Jesus, seeing the crowds, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down. And you remember when we first started this, when he sat down, what we talked about was that that was important. Matthew wasn't just describing that Jesus took a seat. Jesus sitting down to teach conveyed something important because Jesus was communicating authority. Because in that day and time, in that culture, the crowd knew that when a teacher sat down, he really wanted them to listen to what he was going to say. 
They expected a certain kind of teaching because they had heard that kind of teaching before. The religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, people in the, in the temple, they had experienced that before. They had, they had sat and listened to a teacher sit down and teach authoritatively. But here we see at the end of this, Matthew says that they were astonished, that they were amazed at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority. Wait a second. I, I thought they were used to that. I thought they knew and they were expecting that kind of teaching, that kind of authority. But what Matthew's telling us here is that Jesus taught with a different kind of authority. An authority that they weren't used to, unlike their teachers. Because the authority of their teachers were to interpret the interpretations of others. To quote from what other people were saying about God's law and what God wanted. These folks were astonished because Jesus was teaching in a different way. They had never heard this before. And when you look back here, it's easy to see why. Over and over, Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I say to you, this is what God wants. This is what God desires. This is what God means when he says this. Just a few verses before this, Jesus has the audacity to say that people will come to him on judgment day. To him on judgment day. And that he will send people away from him. That he will send people away from God because they did not know God. And in the verses that we just read, Jesus says that his words are wisdom. And doing his words will lead to ultimate blessing. Jesus sat down and named reality. Jesus sat down and gave language to how life actually works. Jesus was claiming to know what God's kingdom was like because he was God. He was God. And he was teaching them as God. There may be some of you here this morning and you have heard the words of Jesus. Maybe you've heard them your entire life. Maybe you've heard them just coming here on Sunday mornings for the first time. And you say, that sounds great. What you're talking about, what Jesus is saying, that is the kind of life that I want. But you're still holding Jesus at arm's length. You like what Jesus says, but you're not sure about Jesus himself. You want the blessings of the kingdom without the king. The life of God's kingdom without God himself. You want to attempt the Christian vision of justice and mercy that we call out what's not right, that we go after people who are oppressors, who are abusers, that we look at our society and we say, listen, that's not right. You're taking advantage of other people. You're pushing other people down. We need to help those who are poor. We need to help those who are orphans, the widows, the foreigners. You like that vision. You like how Jesus self-critiques the religious establishment. That he points out where we're being hypocrites. That he points out where we're saying one thing and living differently. You like that. You like the equality and the freedom that Jesus talks about here. That people should live free. That people should experience life and flourishing and abundance. You like that. But the question for you this morning is this, who's your authority? 
You like that kind of kingdom, but who's your king? Who is your king? You like justice. You want to treat people with equity. You want to be free. But who defines what that really means? Is it some talking head that you listen to week in and week out? Is it the socio-political movement that you're a part of and that you, you subscribe to? Is it you? The crowds were astonished because Jesus had a different kind of authority. Remember this. Remember this. Jesus isn't interested in simply informing us, giving us this moral vision of what life could be like. Jesus isn't interested in simply informing us. Jesus wants to transform us. He wants to transform you. He wants to transform me. The realities of the kingdom. All of these things that we've talked about here. All of these things that resonate with us. That make us say, yes, that's what I want life to be like. That's the kind of life that I want to experience. That's the kind of world that I want to live in. None of that is possible apart from Jesus. The kingdom can't be reality apart from the king. Are you trying to live in the reality of the kingdom without truly acknowledging the king? The call for you this morning, if that's you, is what Jesus said back in Matthew 4. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Stop trying to be the king of Jesus' kingdom. Acknowledge that the life that you really want, the life that you're trying to live, is only possible through the transformation of Jesus. Eugene Peterson, in his translation of the Bible, the message, translates these last verses like this. They had never heard teaching like this. It was apparent that Jesus was living everything he was saying. It was apparent to them that Jesus was living, that he was embodying everything that he was teaching. Jesus didn't just teach. He was saying, listen to me, watch me, see that everything that I am telling you here is true. Jesus himself was and is the evidence that life with God under the rule of God is here and it's available to us. That life is true and that life is available to us. Jesus' words and his life allowed people to see God. The invisible presence of God acting in the visible reality and work of Jesus. When people saw Jesus, when they talked with Jesus, when they listened to Jesus teach, when they experienced Jesus's life, they saw God himself. They knew what God was like. And that's why Jesus came preaching that the kingdom of heaven was here. It wasn't just an ideal. It's not just a philosophy of life. It is made real by the person of Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is here. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. I think if you are like me, there is a strong pull every day toward autonomy in our lives, isn't there? Towards independence, self-sufficiency. I mean, we're taught, either explicitly or implicitly by the society that we live in, we're taught to do this on our own. We're taught that we shouldn't ask other people for help. We're taught that if we have problems, we should figure out a solution. If we're going through bad times, we should just grit our teeth and get through it. 
There's that pull toward living with autonomy. And very few of us, if any of us in this room, will outright reject Jesus and say, I don't want to have anything to do with him. I'm not interested. I mean, I'm assuming that's why you're here this morning, is that at some level you're at least accepting something about Jesus. So very few of us here will just completely say, I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. But I think it's more like this for us. I know you're here, Jesus, and I appreciate that. But between you and me, I can handle this. You just stay close. You stay close in case I need you. You know? Don't go too far, Jesus, because I may need you. We hear the words of Jesus, and with a real sincere heart, we try our best to do them. We try our best to live in these blessings that Jesus offers us. We try our best to live the kind of life where we can love other people and treat other people right. With a sincere heart, with a genuine heart, we want that, we desire that, and we do our best to live that way. But listen to what C.S. Lewis wrote. He said, the real son of God is at your side. He is beginning to turn you into the same kind of thing as himself. He is beginning to inject his kind of life and thought into you. That's what transformation is. That's what Jesus wants to do for you and for me. Jesus wants to get himself in you so that he can come out of you. Jesus wants to get himself in you, all of who he is, his, his life, his teaching. He wants to get that in each of us so then it comes out of us. And I want to close by looking at a couple of these things in Matthew chapter 8. And I want to show you what this looked like for people. Look with me in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 8. And when Jesus came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Great crowds followed him. It's no wonder. They had heard teaching that they had never heard before. They had seen a man like they had never seen before. And they wanted to hear more. They wanted to see more. They wanted to figure out, is this guy legit? Like what he's saying all this good stuff, but I want to I want to see more here. Great crowds follow him. Jesus' healing ministry spread like wildfire. Sick people, diseased people, crippled people came to him. Why? Out of desperation. Medicine wasn't able to fix them. This leper here did not come to Jesus saying, well, I got nothing else to lose. I might as well try this. Look at his words. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. There's no hesitation here. There's no kind of like, I'm going to try this, but I'm not going to go all into it. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. So many of us live in the fear and in the experience of sickness, disease, chronic pain. Many of us live with the quiet desperation of sexual addiction, of depression, anxiety, substance abuse. We carry these weights around with us. We think no one else understands them. No one else experiences them. We're afraid to admit to ourselves and to admit to others, we don't know what to do. 
We don't know how to be clean. We don't know how to be healed. Do you believe that Jesus can make you whole this morning? Do you really believe that Jesus can make you whole? There's no, we, we always give these caveats like, well, if it's, all, if it's God's will, then he will do it. Or even if God doesn't do it, he's still good. And yeah, there's a time to deal with those and to talk about those. But we don't see this leper weighing all of his options and all of the implications. He simply comes because he wants to be healed. And he believes that this man is the only man that can truly heal him. Look in verse 5. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come in healing. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word. And my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. I wish that was true about my parenting. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such The centurion just came to Jesus and told him the situation, and Jesus was ready to roll. He's like, am I driving or are you? Like, I'll go. Let's do it. But what the centurion says is, no, you only have to say the word, and I know that you can heal him. I know that you can heal him. And Matthew tells us that Jesus marveled. Why? Just like the people marveled at Jesus' teaching and were astonished at Jesus' teaching. Jesus, was he marveled. He was astonished at the faith of this guy because he wasn't used to that kind of faith. He wasn't used to people coming to him and just saying, Jesus, I believe that you are so powerful that you can bring about such a transformation that all, you don't even have to see him. You don't have to be in the same zip code. All you have to do is say the word. And he will be healed. This man had power. This man had resources available to him. Yet here he is begging for Jesus' help. When our friends or our family are in need, how do we respond? Do we jump in with our own wisdom and try to fix the situation? Do we try to marshal our own resources, all the stuff that we have to throw at this? When somebody's marriage is in trouble. When someone's job is in jeopardy. When there are broken and strained relationships. When we know people in our lives, people that we love, who are making choices every day that hurt themselves, that hurt other people. Do we believe that only a word from Jesus can heal and help other people? Do we believe that going to Jesus on behalf of those that we love is worth it? Lastly, look down with me at verse 23. It's a familiar story. And when Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But Jesus was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? You have little faith. And then he rose and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this? that even the winds and the sea obey him. Do you remember what kind of men these were that followed Jesus? A lot of them were fishermen. 
And if they weren't fishermen, they had grown up in that region. They'd probably been out on the sea. They probably were used to this kind of weather. But something about this storm was especially terrifying to them. Something about this experience brought them to the brink. And here's Jesus taking a snooze over here. And they're like, are you serious? How can you be sleeping? Jesus, wake up. Save us. We're going to die here. In the storms of our life, how often do we think we can handle it? I mean, think of these men. They, they, there was at least four or five of these guys who knew what to do. They'd experienced this before. But how often do we try to steady the ship of our lives? Do we try to navigate the winds and the waves using our own experience, our own talents, our own resources? We say, we got this. And I've always wrestled with Jesus' response here. Is this a rebuke? Is this, like, how, what does it mean here? I think Jesus knew something about these disciples that Matthew doesn't let us in here, let us in on here. But there's two things when I read this that I know are true. They cried out to Jesus for help, even with little faith. And Jesus saved them. I don't know what it means that they had little faith here. I don't know what Jesus was addressing. I don't think Jesus was upset at them for being scared for their lives. But the two things I know is that they cried out for help and that he saved them. Who is this kind of man? It's the kind of man that Jesus says, I've been telling you about. This is who I am. This is what I'm about. This is why the kingdom of God is here and all its possibilities, because I am here. Today, tomorrow, the rest of this week, you and I will live in the chaos of life. The chaos of life, the possibility of our health failing, those we love hurting, the storms of life beating against our house. But the hope that we have as we have heard these words of Jesus, as we have been confronted with the person of Jesus, is that Jesus has given us his words as a foundation. And Jesus has given us his presence, his spirit for our transformation. So the question for us this morning is this. What will we do with the words of Jesus? What will we do with the person of Jesus? Will we go to him for transformation? Will we build the foundation of our life on his words? What he says is true. What he says is right. What he defines as life. The hope is that when we do this, We will experience wisdom. We will experience life. We will experience Jesus getting himself into us so that he gets himself out of us to respond to this life. That's why we're here together. That's why we come here on Sunday morning. It's because we believe this is true. So my challenge to you this morning is, do you really believe it's true? Are you just kind of saying, yeah, that sounds great. Or, yeah, yeah, I believe it. But when the rubber meets the road, is it really true for you? Is Jesus your foundation? Is Jesus transforming you? That's why we celebrate communion. And we do this as a symbol Every single week, because you and I need to be reminded of this, right? We need to be reminded that because of Jesus's life, because of Jesus's death, because of Jesus's resurrection, because Jesus is coming back again, that we have hope. That we're not out here doing this by ourselves, that we have 
the Spirit, the presence of Jesus with us, in us, and we have each other to go through this life together. So I want to invite you this morning, if that is where your hope is, if that is who you are trusting in, to come and to take a piece of bread, to dip it in the cup. We have gluten-free in the back. Come and do this. It's not magical. It's not some big spiritual, you know, special thing. It's a symbol of saying what I am doing here is what I really believe. It's who I am. I know that this series has been challenging for so many of you. I know that even this morning, like being kind of called out to say, are you the king of your own kingdom is challenging. And if you're trying to still figure out, what do I do with Jesus? Just stay in your seat. There's no shame in that. There's no judgment in that. We want this to reflect who you really are. But if you're like, I don't know that it does. Talk to us. Talk to me after the service. Talk to Andrew. We would love to share more with you about Jesus' kingdom. Living with him as king. Being transformed by Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus, that in your grace, in your mercy, you have not just created us and said, all right, figure it out. But that you have given us your words of life. You have given us your presence for life. And I just pray that we would be both individually and a community that is building our foundation on you. That when we think about our lives, when we think about our ministry, when we think about our relationship, the choices that we are making, what, what we're involved in in this city, that it would reflect a hope and a deep, deep trust that you are who you say you are and that you give the life that you say you will give. So we thank you for hope. We thank you for the hope that we have in you. That Jesus has died. That Jesus has risen. And that Jesus will come again. In Jesus' name, amen.